Welcome to the 188th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Arian Tex Thompson, author of the rural fantasy novel, One Night in Sixes. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Arianne Tex Thompson, author of the new rural fantasy novel, One Night in Sixes. Arianne, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Sure. Well, can you read a couple of pages from your new novel, One Night in Sixes? Oh, you bet. This would be actually from the very beginning. So this is like uh, chapter one, page one right here. Um, on the third day, God said... Now you just stay there and think about what you did. So Elam stood there where they'd tied his hands to the two posts of the main street promenade, leaning into the dwindling shade as the sun climbed higher. The rest of the dust-choked street was long since deserted, which left just Elam standing spread-armed between the beams, struggling to keep his aching head shaded and his sluggish thoughts pious as his bare back and shoulders roasted in the sun. That was a tall order. It was powerfully difficult to let his gaze rest on the walkway without thinking of the people it had been built for. The raised wooden walk had kept their genteel boots out of the mud. The open sloping roof had guarded their reverend heads from the rude heat of the day. They would have been fine, decent folks. They wouldn't have left even a grassy legume strung up like this. But they had long since passed on to their reward and left him at the mercy of their brutal heirs. He was close, though. So close his sweat dripped onto the weathered gray planks. If he could just get past the pain in his arms and the tightness in his chest and lean in far enough to get his head into that heavenly shaded space, just for even a minute, he would surely breathe in some of their deathless grace and understand how to account for himself. That kept him busy enough that the slow, rhythmic thud of hooves took him by surprise. Startled, even glanced back over one shoulder, just as an enormous brown face hung itself over the other. There beside him was Molly Boone, unbridled, unsaddled, and apparently having liberated herself from the corral. Elam's mouth cracked in a smile. Miss Boone, he declared in a parched whisper, you are a brazen hussy. Is this you flaunting yourself around town without your bonnet on? Elam closed his eyes as her lips anointed his face with a streak of sweet green slobbers. And doling out your affections to any man in the street, I see. Ain't you shamed? No, not hardly. Shame was for people, for creatures who could sort right things from wrong ones and hold themselves accountable for the difference. By that reckoning, Elam was shamed enough for both of them. He breathed in the smell of her sun-warmed coat and steadied his resolve. Don't listen to any of what they said about me now. You know I ain't like that. He had to get himself sure on that point as well. Back home, he could have said it as a certifiable fact. He did not and never had hurt anyone. Here, though. Elam glanced down the empty street, past the adobe walls shimmering in the midday heat and the burnt-out ruins of the church, to the black iron manor at the end of the road. He was just a boy. Maybe this place had turned him into a murderer. Elam couldn't have said whether it had that power, but it certainly was fixing to change him into a dead man. And we'll stop there. Great. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about One Night in Sixes yet, how would you describe your new novel? Well, I um, my 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 usual one sentence is it's um, it's like a cowboy's and Indian story, except that the cowboys accidentally shot an Indian, and if the if the dead kid's family doesn't come after him, the fishmen will. But um, it's it's a little to me. It's it's more than that. It's it, it is a secondary world fantasy. Um, but I think of it more as having a very very strong parallels with uh, ni- the 19th century American Southwest, and it being a story that's more about um, 
that's less about, you know, the gunslingers and the, the, the shootouts at the OK Corral and more about kind of where we are in the 21st century today, but this town where we've got all of these people living side by side, packed in together. They don't necessarily like each other, but they are here and they're trying to figure out how to move forward from the old ugly wars of the past and this, you know, like this terrible history that's right behind them. And, you know, when we had, when, when Elam and his partner come rolling into town, they, they accidentally cause like a really, a really terrible accident that then threatens to destabilize that. And then the question is, how damaging is that going to be? How can we, how can we try to put things right before it's too late? So, uh, so yeah, so it's, it's, it is, it's a rural fantasy and I call it that because to me, even though it does have a lot of Western flavor, we have horses and cowboy hats and corrals and things. The, the heart of the story is one that to me that's that's not just about tracking down the, the bad guy and, and you know shooting out with the six guns and things like that. Sure. Well, well as you just described and, and as I've um, noticed in other interviews, you've described one night in sixes as a blend of epic fantasy literature and and the history of the American West. What what led you to creating this rural fantasy that, that you're writing? Well, I, you know, I grew up on the traditional epic fantasy, you know, the, the Lord of the Rings and the Sword of Shannara and, you know, all these all these great epic books. And I loved them. I just loved them. And it wasn't until later when I was a teenager that I started to think, and, you know, and I set out to write my own book. And, and I sort of ended up copying a lot of things that I had seen done before um, that I started thinking about, well, maybe I don't want to do another European history. Maybe, I, maybe it would be good to do a big fantasy that's about my history, that's about American history. And that sounded awesome for about five seconds until I realized what American history was and how there is really no part of the history of our country that doesn't involve somebody taking something from someone else. And that really changed the entire story for me. That was the moment at which I realized, wow, there is just no, there's just no getting around that. And so it really had to become a part of the story that I told. But this, you know, this, we have this, this wonderful nation, this amazing country that's actually founded on an idea. And yet we still have all of this baggage that we're trying to get past. It's like, um, like, like when you were talking with, uh, with um, Walter Mosley, right? And he was talking about how we, you know, the past we can't change. It's the future that we really can control. So this is me kind of going back to the past and saying, okay, well, can we... If we, if we can't change what happened before, can we change the outcome of that? Can we go a different way? Sure. Well, well I know that you've mentioned that it was a 13-year process for you to kind of um, uh, to, to create this kind of rural fantasy setting and world building and, and you know, leading up to uh, One Night and Sixes being published. I'm just curious, what was that process like for you? I mean, I know that you just described some of it, but... Was it a process where you, you know, um, were trying to to write a fantasy novel with that Western setting, or 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 was it a process of of taking the idea for One Night and Sixes and and just doing a lot of editing over the years? Can you talk about that? Oh, I'd love to. Well, you know, I started writing in the, the beginning of that thirteen year process was me in eleventh grade, like in high school. So. Uh, most of this was just me learning how to be a writer to, to you know like Stephen King says you know you have to write a million words of crap before you can before you can get anywhere so a lot of that was me just getting my million words out of the way but it was 
writing a big story and tearing it down and rebuilding it and writing that story again and tearing it down and rebuilding it. So I, you know, at this point, I, I really have no trunk novels as such. This book that just came out is the one product of all of that 13-year apprenticeship. Um, but to me, um, all right, look, this, this may sound kind of bizarre, but I know a guy who is a cosplayer. He, he's, he's really into the costuming. You know, like you have people do at these fantasy conventions. And he, for the last year and a half, has been working out like, like gangbusters. He has been getting into the most ridiculous shape of his life so that he can cosplay an orc, you know, like big, muscly, green skin, you know, um, you know, the, 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 the whole like leather armor and the huge sword and everything. And I've seen him do it. He is amazing. But the, the funny thing is that when he goes to conventions, what everybody sees is the, the cool body paint, the cool costume, the amazing sword. They don't see any of what he had to do to himself, to his actual physical body, to, to make that costume what he wanted it to be. And for me, learning to write was a lot like that. Is I feel like the majority of the work that I did was to myself and to my my under, you know, the, the, like you know, learning what I needed to know and becoming the person that I needed to be so that I could write the book. The book is really just the very tail end of that. And and how how did you how did you um, uh, you know how did you learn that were you were you um, uh, you know were you participating in writing groups were you getting feedback were you you know writing something and then comparing it to other books that you had read can can you talk about kind of like the 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 process in in that way oh absolutely I um well like I said you know when I started I was still in high school so I was basically just regurgitating everything that I'd seen and read and done before that so you know, fantasy novels and video games and anime. Um, but part of the apprenticeship was going to college. I, I got a bachelor's degree in history and then a master's in literature. And that, I mean, so the formal education was a huge part of it. Just just being exposed to things that I would never have even known about, much less chosen to pick up in a bookstore. And that was enormous. But um, the, the rest of it, like, the, uh, like after, after college, I... Um, I really kind of just holed up in my cave and wrote the, you know, wrote the whole entire story as best I could. And it wasn't until I was completely finished with that that I eventually crawled out of the cave to join the DFW Writers Workshop back in 2012. And they, I, I do wish that I had done that sooner because they really were an instrumental in helping me, you know, clean it up and get it ready for prime time. You know, by that point I had the heart of the story well in place, but. The execution still needed work, and they were they were um, just an invaluable help in getting it getting it ready, so that by the time I went out to my first conference that May, it was something that uh, you know that, that an agent might really be interested in. That's great, and and was that through critique groups? Was it one on one? How did that work? Oh well, the way that the the writers workshop goes is that we, we meet every Wednesday night. There's about like 40 or 50 of us that will usually show up on any given night. It's a pretty sizable group. And then you're asked to, we just break, we are randomly assigned rooms to go into to, to do our reads. There'll be about six people reading on a busy night. And that means there's about eight or 10 people in the room to listen and offer feedback during each of our reads. So not only do you have to read your work out loud, which is a really good way to help yourself catch things that you hadn't seen on the page, but you're getting a different group of people hearing you every time, since it's, ra it's a random sort. So you're getting people who don't necessarily read your genre, 
offering feedback, which can be really helpful because that, that does force you to think about, okay, well, what, am, what is my book doing that, that uh, any reader could enjoy? Or, you know, where am I falling back on tropes that uh, a fantasy reader would forgive, but a person off the street would, would turn up their nose at? And, that, and, and plus, when you have readers, writers from other genres, they can offer really excellent new insights into your story that you maybe hadn't even thought about. So it's a great, great way to do, you know, to, to get a huge diversity of opinions on your work and that, that continual rotation of, of listeners really forces you to think about what am I doing in this 10 minutes of my story that will capture someone's attention. Sure. And, and um, what was the path to publication like for you once you got it to that point where you felt like it was ready? Well, you know, there's that whole 13 years I spent, you know, like building the castle and watching it fall into the swamp and building it again and watching it fall into the swamp and burning down and building it back up again. But actually, after that, once I went to that conference in May of 2012, it happened really fast. I had never, I just went to the conference to kind of get my feet wet. I met this fabulous agent. Her name's Jenny Golavoy, who's just, she just lights up my life. Um, and she said, you know, so I sent the whole thing to her, and she offered, she read it within like two weeks, and then offered representation pretty much on the spot. So I I never sent out a query letter. I was never in the trenches. We just hit it off right away, and we just haven't looked back since. And I, in some ways, I really wasn't prepared for that. Like I was thinking I would have a year or more of thanks but no thanks in which to continue you know tweaking little things about my approach and you know spit polishing the novel and so it, it kind of it was just like like walking marmaduke in some ways you just walking down the street and suddenly he takes off running and you're just along for the ride um i i cannot complain about that but it was definitely an atypical experience sure well i know that there are other novels planned for the series can you talk about the second book in the series medicine for the dead Oh, yes, and I love the way you name drop. That's beautiful. Um, yes, absolutely. This, the, the, whole, the whole story, as I originally wrote it, was 300,000 words, which I knew even back then was not going to fly. So I, I wrote it from start to finish and then broke it into three pieces. Um, One Night in Sixes was the first of those pieces, and it ends on kind of an Empire Strikes Back note. It is not a self-contained story. So Medicine for the Dead picks up immediately after that, and, um, you know, it carries the story forward, that the idea that we are, that there is a quest, that this is like, it, it's a little bit Lord of the Rings, except that instead of like a ring or a magical sword or something like that, the quest object is actually the body of a person, of the person who was, who was accidentally killed. And this body has to be taken back home again at, at any, at any risk, right? Because the, the idea behind that is that, you know, that, that, even though all this awful stuff has happened, we've had big wars, we've had drought, there's dangerous things out in the world, this is, this is a dangerous mission to take this person back home. But um, we have to do it because if we, if we no longer do that, if we no longer have the ability or the fortitude to take care of our dead, then we are really not people anymore. We've, we've lost something irreplaceable. So that, that's kind of the heart of the story. And then, of course, there's, there's monsters and there's danger and magical dysentery and all this great stuff. But that's the real heart of the story as I see it. Great. Well, what advice, given your 13-year process that you've talked about, what advice would you have for aspiring writers who might be listening 
who would one day want to have their own novel or short story published? Well, I think that the thing that has been most valuable to me, uh, I've, been, I've been really lucky in this my whole life, uh, like having gone to public school, having gone to community college, living in DFW, which is a really, uh, you know, it's a huge metroplex with lots of different kinds of people. Is you know like and that's Dallas Fort Worth for yes. people who are listening who might not know. <laughs> Sorry, yes, save okay. me from my acronyms, please. D um, DFW is for Dallas Fort Worth for those listeners who, who who may not be familiar. That's fine. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. If you only say Dallas and you leave off Fort Worth, the the the, the Cowtown people get angry at you. Exactly. Um, so I, I lived in Austin, so I'm familiar. Yeah, so you know, but yeah, so I think you know, like most writers that I've met seem to understand that they need to read a lot. And they need to write a lot. I mean, there's just no way to shortcut that. But to that, I would add that exposing yourself to as many different kinds of people as you possibly can to get outside your Facebook feed and to get outside your advertising demographic and meet people and be with people who are, you know, again, who are not people that you would that you would easily naturally meet in your everyday life. That to me is an irreplaceable experience, and it's one that I've been that, that has enormously bettered my work. And and what books or writers have inspired you along the way as as you've as you've written One Night in Sixes and as you went through this process of of basically creating this rural fantasy setting versus a a, a typical medieval or, or European fantasy? What are there are there books or writers along the way that that uh, kind of helped you or, or, or inspired you? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I could, I could rattle off a list 30 minutes long, but, but for, for time's sake, I would just say, um, on the fantasy side, Terry Pratchett has been a huge influence. And on the literature side, um, William Faulkner is one of my favorites ever. And I think what both of these folks, what, what both of those fellows do that is just, that I look, I, I enjoyed them at the time I read them, but looking back on them, what makes them really amazing to me is that both of those authors treat every character as an individual real person. There are no, they don't deal in stereotypes, they don't deal in cliché, they, they, they may play with them, like you say, oh, you would expect this person to be like that, but there is such a care for humanity in their work that I find that I really miss when I read a book where that's absent, where it's like, oh, but these are the Dark Lord's minions, so they don't really matter. They're just cannon fodder, right? Or they're the bad guys. Isn't that enough for you? I really, the, more, the older I get, the more I appreciate the writers who take the time to, to humanize everyone in their story, regardless of how many pages that person gets. And that's something that I, I definitely couldn't do without. Great. Well, where can people find you online if they're interested in learning more about you and about your novel One Night and Sixes? Um, I am. I should be eminently findable on the internet. Um, my website is www.thetextfiles.com. It's like the X Files, but with text like T E X. Um, or uh, I'm also on Twitter as TextMam, which is text T E X underscore and ma'am. And that, that, that is a Blazing Saddles reference for anyone out there who might be wondering. Um, but yeah, so, so I should be easy, and I, it should be pretty easy to Google me as well. If you Google Tex Thompson, I'm one of the first results. There is a third string DC comic book character who is not me, but I'm, I'm working on unseating that guy. <laughs> and, and I'll have a link to, to your website and Twitter, et cetera, and the show notes as well. Um, well, well, again, we've been speaking with Ariane Tex Thompson, author of the new rural fantasy novel One Night in Sixes. 
The novel is available in bookstores, so go grab a copy now. And Arianne, thanks for doing this interview. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jeff. It's a huge pleasure.